My name is Holly Mackle, as Deanna said. If that sounds a little uh, similar to holy mackerel, you are not the first one to figure that out. In my former life, I was a high school Spanish teacher. Is this, is this gonna work? You sure? Okay, just let me know if y'all hear that crazy noise again. In my former life, I was a high school Spanish teacher and I taught 10th grade. And so one day it's dead quiet in the room. I'm giving a test and everybody's like focused or so I think they are, total dead quiet. And I hear this 15 year old voice pipe up, holy mackerel, this is hard. And the whole room just bursts into laughter. I lose the whole place, like for a full two minutes. They're just giggling and carrying on. I cannot get them back together. I'm sure there was large scale cheating going on in those two minutes, right? <laughs> but listen, my husband has a cousin named Rob Jolly. So I really think I dodged a bullet there. <laughs> I think it could have been so much worse. <laughs> Holy Jolly, yes, that is indeed. Indeed, what could have been, praise God, to from whom all blessings flow, right? <laughs> As a former high school Spanish teacher, I am accustomed to seeing my kids out and about. Do we have any other um, ladies in the room this evening who used to teach school and now see former students out and about in real life and they act like, what are you doing here? I thought you just lived in a classroom. So that happens to me quite often. Um, I taught at Briarwood in the high school. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Briarwood Church in Birmingham, but I taught there for several years and so I see my kids out and about. And normally I really love this. However, there are certain places where I would prefer a little bit more anonymity, a higher degree of anonymity, right? I'm sure y'all can imagine. Recently, we were in the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. So I pull up to the box and I tell the voice in the box my order. I, I won't rehash all that for you. But then at the end, I say something that I say quite often. May I also have an embarrassing quantity of Chick-fil-A sauce? <laughs> to which the voice in the box kind of chuckles and says, yes, ma'am. That would be my pleasure. But I didn't really feel like we were understanding each other. So I said, no, 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 I don't think we're understanding each other. I'm asking for a humiliating quantity of Chick-fil-A sauce. The voice in the box again chuckled. And then we agreed that I would pull up and get my food from the window and she wouldn't just bring it to me at the box. So I drive around and as I do, the shame is sort of starting to pile onto my head and I'm realizing what I've done. And so I, I decide when I get up to the window, I'm gonna do that thing where I like can't find my wallet in my purse so I can avert my head away from the drive-through side. So I'm digging in my purse for my wallet, and as soon as I get up to the window, I hear, Mackle, I knew that was you. <laughs> totally busted, it was one of my former students who is now a Chick-fil-A employee, so there you have it. What can you say, right? So in celebration of my humiliation, as a gift to all of you, I've taped a packet of Chick-fil-A sauce under each of your chairs. So if you want to reach down and grab that Chick-fil-A sauce, I'm totally kidding, I did not do that. <laughs> I just told you I do not share Chick-fil-A sauce. <laughs> And yet several of you bought it and actually did the reach. <laughs> it would not be my pleasure to share Chick-fil-A sauce with you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Chick-fil-A surprises aside, tonight I would love for us to use our time together 
to consider the God who apparently loves a really great surprise. I'd love for us to take a look at the hymn that we're going to sing together at the end of our, of our time. And that hymn is called, What Child Is This? So you might be familiar with that hymn. But in that hymn, we see that theme emerge of the God who does love to surprise us in multiple ways. So tonight, I'd, ask, I'd love to ask if we can allow ourselves to be surprised by this God and even to invite the glorious Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to cast us into awe and wonder with their infinite glory and goodness. What child is this indeed? So tonight, if we can consider together two ways that the Father surprises us. First, I'd love for us to consider the fact that we probably should be a little more surprised by the depth of our need. So that's the first one that we're gonna consider. My pastor loves to say, cheer up, you are way worse than you think. <laughs> Second, I would love for us to consider together the depth of the abundance and mercy and goodness and kindness and loving kindness of our Father God. So, conversely, cheer up. God is so much better and greater and more loving than you could ever possibly imagine. So those two ways, one more time. First, to consider how we are worse than we might think. And second, to consider how God is so much greater and meets us in our need more than we could ever ask or imagine. As Deanna mentioned, my husband David and I have two young girls. Uh, Ellie, who is nine, and Georgia, who is six. But a couple of summers ago, when they were younger, uh, we went to the swimming pool. And it was a beautiful summer day, and we decided that we're going to go and enjoy the sunshine and the pool. And Ellie was probably around seven, and I think that Georgia had just, like, freshly turned five. So we're there at the pool, and my friend and her two young sons are with us. So we're swimming and having a great time. And my friend's young son is on the pool deck with myself and my youngest daughter, Georgia. So let's call this friend's son Ben. Why? Because that is not his name. So my youngest daughter and Ben and I are on the side of the pool deck. And all of a sudden I hear young Ben say, Georgia, the tooth fairy's not real. I pause, I try to get Mama Bear to go back into hibernation. I try to remember to breathe and also blink. And then I do that thing that we mamas do where we scary whisper. And I kneel down and I say, hey Ben, come here a second buddy. Ben comes closer, wide-eyed. And I say, hey Ben, that was not kind. It was not your place to tell Georgia that the tooth fairy wasn't real. That wasn't your decision to make. I'm going to need you to tell your mom what you've done. So then I do that other thing that we moms do with other people's children where we scary, gentle shoulder lead them over to their mom. Like, I'm not dealing with this. This is all you. <laughs> and so I take young Ben over to the side of the pool, and his mom sees us coming, and she starts swimming over, and her eyes get wide as saucers as well. She looks up at young Ben and she says, oh no, what did you do? And young Ben bursts into tears and he says, I told Georgia the tooth fairy's not real. And my friend looks up in the face of her young son 
and says three words that I will never forget for as long as I live. Who told you? (laughs) Shall I give another minute for everyone to catch up? Because you see, I just told you that I have two children. So the answer to that question would indeed be my oldest child, who moments before had taken it upon herself to tell young Ben that the tooth fairy wasn't real, before Ben then decided to turn and share the news with Georgia so that we could all be in on the secret together. (laughs) Our people disappoint, don't they? In a room this size, I can't imagine the stories of pain and hurt. I am so sorry. My heart grieves this very broken world. Our questions in response to this pain often go unanswered, don't they? What kind of child is this who would allow such pain and hurt to exist in the first place? What kind of child is this who would allow these things, these painful and hard things to happen to me or to my people? The concept of what child is this can be a tough pill to swallow, can't it? Our people disappoint, and it's often worse than we ever could have guessed. They surprise us with the depth of their disobedience or their disconnect or their apathy. They surprise us with the depth of their sin, and we, in turn, are surprised by the depth of our own. But it's not just our people who betray us, is it? It can be our very bodies who accomplish the task and reveal that need, can't it? For instance, right now, I am in need of tremendous quantities of Botox. Day by day, my own mind is slipping in ways that I never could have guessed it would before. True story, I once took the wrong kid to the doctor. I'll give you a minute with that one as well. (laughs) Because you see, I didn't just decide to take the kid to the doctor. Oh, no, no, no. There was a lot of effort and thought that went into this. I packed and pottied, and hairbrushed, and hairstyled, and prepared the kid to go to the doctor who should have been at home with the babysitter that I also had prepared and written the note for and painstakingly left at home with the wrong kid. I wish y'all could have seen the look on that kind receptionist's face when I showed up with the other kid. (laughs) It was really something. I was all in. was all in. Sophomore year of college, my best friend, a six-foot-tall, super striking and very graceful former ballerina, invited me to come to a ballet class with her. I had danced growing up, and it was something I had missed doing, and we shared that, that love together, and so I was so excited to accept her invitation and go to this ballet class. So I call my mom, and I ask her if she can mail me my stuff. So I say, I need my tights, my leotard, and my ballet slippers. So my mom very kindly packages everything up and ships it up to Sanford. And I still remember the day that I went to that mailbox and I opened it and there's the package inside and I pull it out and I know exactly what it is and I rush back to the dorm room. And when I get there, I dress painstakingly. I put on the tights and the leotard and the ballet slippers. And we had one of those full-length mirrors on the, the back of our dorm room door. I'm sure you all remember those. And so I walk over to the dorm room door to close the door, to take a look at myself in the mirror for the first time. And behold, it was Leah. Come on, y'all. Okay, come on. I need y'all to represent with a little biblical literacy tonight, so I'm going to tell that joke one more time, and everybody's going to get it. You ready? 
Here I go to see myself in the leotard. And behold, it was Leah. Oh, yeah. I'm super impressed. I'm super impressed. <laughs> the point being, I did not recognize her. That was not the last reflection that I had seen in the mirror the last time that I had been in a pair of tights and a leotard and ballet slippers. I did not recognize her, and I don't remember agreeing to the sneaky little experiment that gravity and instant mac and cheese had apparently decided to play on her freshman year. <laughs> Even our bodies go against us, don't they, women? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel betrayed by your very flesh? I do. Never mind those around me. Never mind my own mind or my memory. It was my own physical existence that had begun to reveal itself as well in its way to decay. I am a writer, but more than being a writer, I consider myself a curator or a person who invites and asks those around me in my circles to contribute to projects where I can encourage them to step out into agency and voice and their God story and to tell it in such a way so that it encourages those inside and outside the church. That's what I'm really called to. That's what makes my heart beat faster. I love to invite men and women, young and old, to step out and to tell their God stories. It's who I was created to be. Yes, I am that girl that you wanted in your group project during high school group project time. I see a couple of you just flinched when I said group project. <laughs> We're not going to do one tonight, don't worry. <laughs> I am called to write, yes, but I'm called to write from a far deeper place where I'm called to nudge others toward a place of courage. A couple of years ago, I was actually over your direction in Atlanta at a women's conference. And at the end of the conference, I was packing up my bag, and I was, you know, at a big round table like this in a large room. And I'm packing up my stuff, and this young woman approaches me. And she says, excuse me, are you Holly Mackle? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, I love everything you write. Wow, I said, thank you. That's so kind. I'm honored. And then she turned and left, and I went back to packing up my bag and left the conference. It wasn't until days later that I was overwhelmed by the depth of my sin. Sin, you might ask? How did you sin? Or even, aren't you being a little hard on yourself? So please just allow me to explain. I, the person who just told you that her greatest joy and what she feels specifically called to as lifting up the voices and God stories of other people, allowed an exchange with that woman to happen where there was only one person elevated, and that person was me. My heart said, yes, I am Holly Mackle, and everything I write is beauty and wonder and unicorn rainbow glitter sparkles. No, it is not. <laughs> I should have brought the pile of rejection letters so that we could have it as an object lesson. But I let that exchange happen in such a way that I received her kind compliment and turned it into my identity. I took it and my heart twisted it. I said, yes, I am Holly Mackle. I am worthy of your adoration. Y'all, that is so ugly. How do I know my heart did this? 
And how did, how did I know to repent days later? Recognizing the brokenness in others can be clear as day, can't it? But sometimes that brokenness within our own selves can be a little more subtle and a little more difficult to pinpoint. How did I know to repent? It was the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. It was him who knocked at the door of my heart and said, hey, remember that woman at the end of the conference? Remember how you didn't respond? Remember what you didn't do? It was the Holy Spirit that revealed this thing called pride that once inside will literally eat you from the inside out. And that sick feeling in my gut revealed that that's exactly what was happening. God, the only one who is worthy of elevation, he could have nothing to do with my pride. And in his kindness, he convicted me of the sin. It was he who said, hey, hold on a second. Do you remember her? Do you remember how you keep saying that you love to elevate others over yourself? Is that what you did that day? Did you ask where she was from? Did you ask how she experienced the conference? Did you ask what she's passionate about? Did you even ask her name? So goes the girl who loves to lift up the voices and God's stories of another. I allowed her to adore me. Her kind compliment was absolutely snatched up and twisted in my heart. It was twisted into a deception, and my heart responded by making it my ultimate identity. God's disciplining of me was his kindness. It was him disallowing the elevation of myself over others, but most importantly, disallowing the elevation of myself over him. By grace, I was brought to a place of deep repentance before the God who forgives, even when the ugly is coming from inside my own self. Nope, it wasn't my people disappointing me. It wasn't my mind or my body failing me. The vast and dark depth of my need was on display, and it was coming from within my very heart. <clears throat> Ladies, do we ever allow ourselves to be surprised, and dare I ask, shocked by the depth of our own need? More often than not, I need to be rescued from myself. Praise be to the God who does just that. Because he doesn't just leave us there in our sin, does he? Absolutely not. That is, after all, what the Christmas story is all about. Emmanuel, God with us, who descended from the right hand of God the Father Almighty in heaven so that he could be with us, near to us, drawn near in the body of a baby. Do we ever pause there? to stop and consider the abundant mercy of Emmanuel? Do we ever allow ourselves to be surprised by the wonder of his drawing near to us so that we, in turn, could draw near to him? Because it doesn't just stop at my first point. Praise be to God that it does not stop there. It's not just the depths of our sin that God surprises us with. It's so much better than that. It's so much deeper and richer. Because remember that second point, of allowing ourselves to be surprised by God's goodness. Can we also allow that to happen? Just a couple months ago, again at the end of a conference, and again as I was packing up my bag, 
As I tell you this story, I have one major fear, and it is that you're going to think that this happens to me. Let's make this really clear right now. This does not happen to me, okay? However, because God often with me needs to use those giant blinky boards that say, this is the way, walk in this way. (laughs) He allowed the circumstances of this story to line up so similarly. So I'm at at a conference, It's, it's at the end, and I'm packing up my bag, and a woman approaches me. And she says, do I recognize you from the back of a book? And I said, well, it depends on whether or not you like the book. And then she said something kind. By God's grace, I don't even remember what she said. Look at the difference between this interaction and the first one. Because guess what happened? In my head, but most importantly in my heart, I heard, I've been here before. Ooh, I remember what happened last time. It wasn't good. And I remembered he changes me. I remembered that he gives me the energy and the ability to move towards sanctification or becoming more like Jesus, his very son. And in that second, I begged him to help me and to change me. And guess what he did? He did. I asked the woman her name. She told me. I asked her where she was from. She told me. And I went, oh, I know people there. And I told her. And guess what? She knew those people. In just a second, we had this connection. We only talked for a couple of minutes. But a momentary sense of sisterhood was experienced. Our hearts connected, if even so briefly. And y'all, it was good. It was good. I was reminded, just as we talked about earlier, that the church is not limited to my little congregation that I'm a part of in Birmingham. It's so much bigger, so spread out. Oh, yeah, God is at work everywhere, all for his glory and our good. That was the change. That was what God had for me. And I am so thankful to him that that's what he did have for me. He didn't even leave me in that state of forgiveness. He even called me beyond that forgiveness to step out in courage to ask her those questions. You know, those were simple little softball questions. What might have happened if I'd had the courage or the wherewithal to ask her how she had experienced the conference? Maybe next time. Maybe next time. A few years back, it had just been a hard year. I was sad. I felt beat down. There was discouragement at every turn. You see our object lesson over here of my rejection letters. Aren't they pretty? They don't have unicorn glitter sparkles on them, sadly. (laughs) Just my tears. (laughs) There was so much relational brokenness in my life. There was sadness. There was grief over sin, mine and others. You name it. It had been a rough year, and it was almost my birthday. My in-laws, who love me so very well, invited me to celebrate with them as a family. And my mother-in-law asked what I wanted them to cook. Anything I wanted, she said. So I asked for steak. Now, my father-in-law considers himself something of a grill master. And so <laughs> I, I thought steak meant steak, but I had no idea what I was in for. So that night, we go over to my in-law's house the table is set so beautifully, much like we've seen tonight. And there's fine china around and all her fine serving ware. 
And my girls are even behaving themselves. It's a lovely evening. And we all sit down. And Papa goes out to the grill to retrieve the steaks. So he comes in with a platter. And he proceeds to walk around the big table. And he puts a steak down on everyone's plate. Everyone, that is, except for mine. Papa goes back outside to retrieve my steak. But this time, he comes in with something a little different. Papa comes in with a porterhouse. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with steak cuts, but a porterhouse is actually two cuts of steak. You don't have to decide. You can have the filet mignon and the New York strip. A porterhouse is this anomaly of a steak cut. It's, it's the craziest thing. It's like this thick, it's huge, okay? So Papa walks over to give me this steak, and he sets it down on my plate. But really, that's not at all what happened, okay? Because I've said that way too delicately. The steak descends onto my plate. The steak basically eats the plate. The thing's like hanging off the sides. It's huge. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I mean, I know I used to be able to, like, put down the instant mac and cheese in college, but, like, this is, like, tremendous. How am I going to do this? And I'm thinking about, okay, how am I going to take this home? And I guess I can eat, like, at least four meals off of this. And, wow, this is, like, a whole lot. And the thing is dripping, and we're, like, looking at each other, and everyone's sort of giggling. And it was awkward. <laughs> and it was a little socially uncomfortable. And I didn't really know what to do because the planner in me is already thinking about the to-go box. And, 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 and. And it was my father-in-law's expression of his indescribable love for me right there on that plate. Ladies, if my father-in-law loves me porterhouse on a plate, how much more does my heavenly father love and dote on me? And here's one thing I can say with utter certainty. How much more does our Heavenly Father love and dote on you? I'm sure this room is filled with porterhouse on a plate moments. And I think in a couple minutes, we're going to get to share at our tables and let others in. Would you step out in courage? Would you step into that God story and let another hear it? Because I can tell you what happens inside me when I hear those stories. I worship. I remember that it's not about me. I remember that it's not ultimately about you. I remember that it's ultimately about the God that we love and serve. And if that's not worship, I don't know what it. What child is this indeed? What child is this indeed? What kind of God would send a baby as the savior of the whole world? What kind of God would do exactly the opposite of what everyone expected him to do? What kind of God would make it infinitely better than anything we could have dreamt up or written or planned in a story? It's so much better than anything anyone could have come up with. In Jesus' day, the Israelites were waiting for a king. They'd been waiting for a long time, generations. They had heard the prophets and they knew the stories of the patriarchs. They knew he was coming, but when he got here, he was not what they expected. He took everyone by surprise because he was just the opposite. 
a servant king who spoke with women, dined with tax collectors, and slayed you to the very core with his words, a conquering king who held no property outside of human hearts, an exalted king who died so that he might be raised up? What child is this? What child is this? And he wants to make his home in me? In John chapter 5, the chapter begins with Jesus doing a healing by the sheep gate in Jerusalem. He heals a man who's been an invalid for 38 years, and he ticks off the religious Jews because, you see, he did it on the Sabbath. So not only was he working, but he was working on the Sabbath. But the chapter tells us they didn't just dislike him for what he was doing. They actually hated him, and they hated him so much they sought to kill him for it. In that same section of the text and likely in the same physical area around that sheep gate, Jesus moves right into teaching on who he is, how he is the Son of God, how they are one and the same, and how he has all the authority of Father God. As you read on in the chapter, you see what Jesus is doing with, the, with, with his argument. Excuse me. You see what Jesus is doing with his argument through the chapter as he boils it down further and further. He boils it down so that everyone can see what the issue is here. And the issue is their very hearts. Their sin is their unbelief. Jesus tells them he is God, but they don't believe it. Because remember, he's not what they expected. He's not what they were prepared for. There's no way their king could look like this. A king over a heavenly realm? No thanks. They wanted a king for the here and now. Someone to make this life cozy and easy, not come with promises of a kingdom to come. Near the end of the chapter, Jesus says one of my very favorite lines of all of Scripture when he says in John chapter 5, 46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he spoke of me. Now, it's not exactly our southern ladylike way of putting something gently, is it? Don't you think you'd be a little more comfortable if you put on some lipstick? No, Jesus does not beat around any bush. He asked the Israelites, aren't you being a little short-sighted? Think you know the holy texts? Then why don't you see me in them? Why don't you see me in the obedience of Noah or in the willing sacrifice of Abraham or in Isaac who likely climbed up onto that altar himself to be sacrificed? Or in Joseph forgiving his brothers time and time again when they wronged him over and over and over. Do you see me in the desert? In the rock that Moses strikes when the Israelites are complaining of thirst. The rock where the waters run at Meribah. Do you see me in Melchizedek or King David or in Daniel? Or for the purposes of our reflection tonight, what child is this? Do you see me? Surprise, the story of redemption is so much bigger and better than we ever could have guessed. So how does this translate to our day? We have the fullness of the story of redemption. We can look back through redemptive history and see the cross where Jesus died and, and paid all for us. We see the Christ who is the real conquering king. But I would say he's still surprising us today. Would you agree? Because more often than not, he is so not at all what I expected. I want cushy and easy, too, for the here and now. 
and the ways he invites me to humble myself and seek kindness and be strong in him and repent when I sin before others, the list goes on. These are not the things that I would choose. In fact, these are often the exact opposite of the thing that my heart would choose. But I do trust the goodness of the master storyteller, and I want to trust him more and more each day. Do you know him? Do you know this God who is likely not at all what you expected him to be like? Who sent his very son, Jesus, to live a life free of even the smallest of sins, and yet still to be accused, to be accused by his own people and put to death on a cross? Do you know this Jesus who was handed over to their bloodthirsty cries? But guess what? This Jesus didn't stay dead. Oh, no, because after three days, he rose again to rule and reign at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, until the very last day that the sun rises and sets on this earth. Do you know this Christ? This is the Emmanuel that wants to draw near to us. He did it all on our behalf. This God, this Jesus, he didn't come to just be set apart, to be high and exalted, he came to draw near, so near, that he's within us as a believer. Surprise, the very best kind of surprise. I want my heart to bow to him time and again. If you don't know him yet, would you ask someone about him? Would you find someone in this room, whether it's the person you came with or someone you're just meeting tonight for this first time? And would you ask them about this Jesus? The surprises are so great. Many of us are headed into the busiest and most hectic season of the year. Many of us are already in it, if we're honest. And if we're not careful, we can just blow by the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit. We can absolutely ignore his invitations to join him. And what kind of things can we trust that he will invite us to? Kindness. Wonder repentance, slowness of spirit and tongue, eyes for others, and hearts that long to draw near to the sun, the reason for this whole season after all. And what can we expect when we in turn draw near to him, when we respond to that invitation? No telling. No telling. The surprises are great, my friends. And they're so much better than any porterhouse on a plate. To end our time together, I'd love for us to stand and sing, What Child Is This? <laughs>